This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. For a second, I need to talk to those people who be like, should we really show movies at church? Is this really a good idea? Is this something, is, are we allowed to do this? Are we breaking some rules of some kind? I'm not sure that we should be doing this. When I told my dad we were going to be doing an at-the-movies series, he said that his grandmother, my great-grandmother, would be rolling over in her grave, <laughs> that we are showing movie clips um, at church. Uh, and one of the things that my great-grandmother would do, my dad would tell me, um, she was such she didn't want to do anything on on Sunday so she wouldn't cook on Sunday she would cook on Saturday so she didn't have to cook on Sunday but then she would warm the food up on Sunday and I'm like that's breaking the rules but uh why are we showing um, I'm going to actually give you a biblical justification for why we're uh, going to be showing some movies um, uh, for this for this next little series. But just, I have a few thoughts for you. The first one is, you know, we're going to be giving you snacks every week. This legitimately isn't like a movie theater because when you have snacks at the movie theater, what do you do with your cups? You throw it under your chair. We're not going to do that at church for the next few weeks. We're going to take our garbage out with us if we're eating the snacks. Um, but what we see um, uh, in the movies, and specifically there's a lot of movies being produced nowadays, and I would say any movie that actually connects with us, have you ever gone out of a movie and just, you know, been really thoughtful and something really connected with you and made you, you know, think about yourself, your own life? See, I would say that any movie like that is actually borrowing from the scripture a biblical idea and uh, applying those things in movies that we watch today. And, and right now, I mean, we're um, in the midst of, you know, the Avengers series is, is ending up this, weekly, this weekend, most likely to be the highest grossing weekend of a movie of all time. And I would say that a movie about superheroes ultimately is about Jesus is about pulling things that we actually need for our lives and then things that are actually connecting with us um, just as individuals that we have this desire. And see, in this, the movies that we see, we see the same movies over and over and over again. All the superhero movies virtually are all the same. We know what's going to happen, but we're still buying our tickets. We're still going. And, and it's borrowing all of these things. And see, what I would say about these themes that we desire as humans, that I would see them all in the gospel and that they're all continually being told over and over. It's actually in us. When, when we hear and see these stories that God has put those things in us so we would recognize the voice of God. Um, I mean, the, 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 re, the, latest, the latest reboot of the Superman movies, the first one, The Man of Steel... That is like straight up Jesus imagery. If you've watched that movie, I mean, they are just stealing left, right, and center from the scripture. And we're watching it and we're like, yeah, Superman. I'm like, yeah, Jesus. This movie is about Jesus. And uh, so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be finding biblical themes in the movies that we're showing. Now, what I would say about the movies that we're watching, you don't have to watch them. And I would say we're not going to get our morals from the movies that are out there today. Recommendation, and you, we're not saying you have to watch the movies that we're going to be showing or like them, but what we are going to be doing is pointing back to the scripture and seeing biblical themes. 
And the last thing that I would say along these lines before I give us biblical justification for what we're doing today. And let's be honest. I know I know a lot of you don't like to partake in these little surveys that I do. But let's, let's have 100% participation. We gave you a chocolate bar. So let's participate today. How many of you in the last month at least have seen or watched a movie? So don't be a hypocrite. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 17, here is Paul um, in Greece, and he's speaking to individuals, and then they're searching for God, and he does something very interesting. Acts chapter 17, verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made this, he made from one man every nation, mankind, to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. That God has placed within the heart and the soul of each person, every individual that has ever existed, this need and this desire To know who God is. And this is what I would say about the stories that we keep telling over and over again. That they are a representation of the stories that we're seeing in the scripture. And then what does it say? That God is actually not far from any person. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. So Paul is quoting a Greek secular poet in the midst of the scripture. He's he's not quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting a contemporary poet of the time. And what is he saying Uh, with this phrase from this poem? For we are indeed his offspring. And we know that he did this two other times in the New Testament where he quoted extra biblical sources. And then if we think about... Jesus' parables. When Jesus told a parable, he was not quoting the Old Testament. He was making up stories. And he would tell a story so that we would learn something. And I would say, if we're smart enough to know, and that's what we would see uh, anything good that's in the movies being made nowadays, they are borrowing from biblical principles, as we're going to see over the next few weeks. And uh, we want to understand those. See, so, so Paul is saying, hey, even as some of your poets, a Greek secular poet, and he quotes them. He says, for you are indeed his offspring. And then he says this. So he makes a conclusion. He makes a reasoning based on the secular poet. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that, that the divine is being like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So Paul's point is, uh, well, the things that are made, they aren't God. It's not, God is not gold or God is not silver or God is not something that we can create with the art that we can create. But there's something underlying all of that. The force of creation, which we would say, would be God. 
And I think there's actually some good reasoning in what Paul is doing. And we can actually witness to somebody based on movies that are out there today and say that these things all point to Jesus. You know, one of my favorite movie series is the Matrix movie series. And, and once again, you could preach the gospel from the Matrix. Is anybody in the room this morning? It's like, well, why are you saying that, Pastor Brent? Well, I'm doing exactly what Paul did. Even some of your poets have said... I, my, my family hates the Matrix. I love the Matrix. Neo, he is, what is he? He's the one. He's the chosen one. He's the savior. He dies. He rises again. This Jesus stories. <laughs> Why do we keep telling these stories? Because they're in us that God has placed us in us. And so what we do a lot of times, we look at the created things and we miss the underlying force under all of it, which is God. The times of ignorance, verse 30. God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That it all points back to Jesus. So, um, we're still not a little bit sure if we can actually post these messages online uh, because of copyright rules and stuff like that. So if it shows up online, you know we are allowed to do it. Otherwise, we won't be posting messages online for the next four weeks. So we're going to be talking about Shrek. Now, my kids, back in the day when we would watch DVDs, we had this on DVD and we would watch this movie over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we could, our kids could sing all of the songs and knew the lines in Shrek. And who is Shrek? Shrek is an ogre. He is an imperfect person who gets sent on a journey, a heroic journey. And what we would see right away about Shrek is that he, once again, being an ogre, an imperfect person, that he's actually not qualified to go on this heroic journey to save the princess from the tall tower. And this is the, there's many themes, many biblical themes, believe it or not, in the movie of Shrek. And we're just going to pick this one theme and talk about this this morning. Um, This idea that an unlikely person thrown into circumstances that they don't feel qualified to face. Uh, and then we could see this in the scripture, uh, an unlikely hero, an unqualified hero, uh, a reluctant hero. We could see this in the Moses story. We can see this with Gideon. We can see this with Jonah. We can see this with Esther. We can see this with Isaiah and others in the scripture. Not, not feeling qualified. And what I would say about this, this notion, this idea, this sort of reluctance to face something or not feeling qualified, I think this is actually a very important principle. Not an overconfident hero, but a reluctant one. And when we are a little bit reluctant, there is some humility in there, thinking, well, you know, I might not be able to do this on my own. And when we have that humility, we know that God can make up the difference. So it is, in a sense, it's important to have that humility when we go to face certain things in our lives, realizing that we aren't enough. But God makes up the difference for us. So let's look at a couple stories from the scripture uh, that sees this principle over and over again. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. But when the fullness of time... Uh, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, that God sent his son. And not only is God sending his, or sent his son at a specific time, this is something that we actually need to believe about ourselves, that God has sent us at this time. God actually has purposes for you and I, and then we're not born today in this time, but by accident. That God has actually sent us by his purposes, by his will, for this time to actually bring his kingdom to every aspect of our lives. He sent Jesus at a specific time, at the right time. And God has sent you. God has sent you at the right time. For, to, to, to the brokenness that is in the world today, not the brokenness, because God is not causing the brokenness of the world. The brokenness of the world is, because, is there because of, this, because of sin and because of the enemy. But the brokenness that is out there, God is sending us to bring his kingdom ways to that brokenness. And we can sometimes feel unqualified. We can feel like Shrek. I, I don't know if I can actually do this. I'm not sure that if I can accomplish this. Or maybe you should pick somebody else who's actually a hero. Maybe you, you, you could pick somebody else who is really strong and who's got it all together. Because I don't have it all together. And I, and I made a bunch of mistakes in my life. And, and so maybe, God, you should send somebody else. No, God is sending you. God is sending you to situations and circumstances that he wants you to spread his love and to bring his goodness and to bring his power to the situations that you are facing. So David. David is a, a very... Uh, a similar story to this. We, we know the David and Goliath story, but we're going to read a precursor to actually what happens because we all know the story of, uh, of David slaying Goliath. But leading up to that, we can see some themes that we would also face in our life. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 22. So David is actually going to the front lines to, to bring uh, provisions to his older brother. David is the youngest, not qualified. He hasn't been trained in war. He's a shepherd. And so he's there going to the front lines to bring something to his brother, uh, brothers. Verse 22. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and wet and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were much afraid. And see, um, circumstances that need a hero will speak to you. And they will do, defy your life. They will come against you. And this is what we see in this story. Circumstances that will come our way that we don't feel like we're qualified to handle. And then what's... Being said, well, everybody's afraid that they hear what Goliath is threatening them with and what's happening. Everybody around them is afraid. See, and life could be like this sometimes. You find yourself in the middle of circumstances. You find yourself um, going through something and you feel like, you know what? This is actually defying my life. This is coming against me. And everybody else around me is afraid. Nobody is doing something about this. 
Nobody is addressing this. And here, the unlikely one, the youngest one, shows up in the middle of these circumstances. Verse 25. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make him make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? So here we have David, who's the youngest, and he's there at the front lines. He's in the middle of circumstances, and he's kind of the unlikely one in the middle of this context. He's not part of the army. And there, his eldest brother is there. And then his oldest brother is sort of like coming down hard on him. His his oldest brother is not for him. Now, let's just take a moment and think about this. And, you know, I, I, I... didn't grow up in a negative family. I didn't grow up in a family that put me down. And I know maybe some of you have lived in those circumstances. But I, if I could say something for all of us in the context of our families, we should be the cheerleaders for our other family members. Can I get an amen? We shouldn't be the one putting down our family members and be like, no, you're too young. No, you're too old. No, you're too this. No, you're too that. We should be the one encouraging our family members, hey, you can face this, this thing that's defying you. You can do it, and you can handle it, and you are called to the kingdom for such a time as this. So let's not be like David's older brother. He's like, you know, what are you doing? And, and sort of making fun of him and putting him down. But in the middle of this context, what is he? He's there. He's not actually there for the battle. He's kind of the unlikely one. He's not the one that other people would have chosen. It's like, hey, let's send David to face Goliath. He's the non-obvious one. But he's the one that steps up. We know that this is true. We know the end of the story. So we could see the questions come for us when we find ourselves in the middle of these circumstances. The question is that we have to face and the circumstances will say to us, who are you? Who are you to handle this? You're just this or you're just this or you're, you're, you're doing this and you shouldn't be doing this. Who are you? And we have to know how to answer that question. We have to know, uh, once again, when when we're facing the things of life, we're not just coming in our own strength. We're not just coming in our own heroic power. We're actually uh, harnessing and accessing the power of God in us. And knowing that he has placed his kingdom power on the inside of us to face the things that are defying us. To face the things that are coming against us. So, you know, who are you, David? And kind of the implication from his older brother is, you're, you're, you're nobody. 
You're the youngest. You're the this. You're the that. We have to know how to answer that question. And we have to know how to answer it and relate it to God. That I'm just not a hero on my own, but I actually have the power of God within me. And then how to deal with the fear that surrounds us in these circumstances. See, displaying courage, it's not when all fearful things are gone. But displaying courage has to be in the midst of fearful situations. And we see in movies over and over again, fear is displayed by a dragon, which is not even a real thing. And that's a lot of times, that's what fear is. It's not even a real thing. It's, it's just an idea. It's a negative notion about the future. And then where do we need? We need courage in the midst of fear. In the, the surrounding, everybody else is afraid. The unqualified one, the unlikely one, the reluctant one, in the middle of all of that, knows that they're not enough on their own. Reaching out to God and His love and His power. That I don't actually have to be afraid. That the things are coming against me, that are defying me, that are making me afraid. That I can actually display courage in God. Luke chapter 4 verse 22. This is a story about Jesus when he was away in the wilderness and he came back and he read the scriptures about how he was the anointed of God. Luke 4 verse 22, and all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to be physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do you, do you hear in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum? Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Isn't this just Joseph's son? Isn't this something defined by earth? See, Jesus had just read something about the Spirit of God was upon him. He was defining himself by the plans and purposes of God for his life. And then their response is, well, aren't, aren't, isn't this just... Aren't you just Joseph, son? Aren't you just whatever? Aren't you just this? See, not everybody is going to speak highly of you. Not everybody is going to encourage you. But you have to know that God has something for you. And God has sent you. You were born now for a reason, for a purpose. And God is sending you just like he sent Jesus. God is sending you out in the earth today. And you just can't let everybody define you by the things you've done, the mistakes that you've made. And you can't define yourself that way. You can't define yourself by your negative past. We don't just let people call us down. Because when they call us down, then we think, oh, I can't face this because of what they said about me. The, the answer is basically you are an unlikely hero. You, you are, you, and you should be a little bit of a reluctant one. And maybe you aren't qualified, but God qualifies you. God has done something for you in Christ. So that you are able to face these situations. 
and go to the places that he's called you to go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are we? We are his workmanships. We aren't just Joseph's son. We aren't just the negative things somebody would say about us. We are the workmanship of God. And God has prepared something ahead of time that we should do the good works of the kingdom of God. God is sending you. And he's sending me. He's done something ahead of time. And so what do I say? I don't say I'm a just this. Man, I'm the workmanship of God. I'm a child of the most high God. This is who I am, not just what I've done, or not just whose child I am in in the earthly perspective. But I'm actually God's child. And he's prepared something beforehand for me to walk in. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. See, life in God is a living hope. It's a living expectation about our future. That I can actually go into fearful circumstances. Why? Because I have a living hope. I have God's spirit on the inside of me. He's alive on the inside of me. And so I actually have some joy about the future. Even though it's difficult. Even though there's struggles ahead of me. I actually have a living hope in God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. See, I am unqualified sometimes. And I am the unlikely one. And I am the reluctant one. But to all of that, God says that there's an inheritance for us. And it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it is unfading. That God's power doesn't fade away even when I say or somebody says about me, I'm not enough. God's power doesn't fade. It's not defiled. And it's the inheritance that I have in God. Kept in heaven for you. Verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. See, here's the thing. I'm not just having faith in myself when I go to face these situations. I'm having faith in God's power, which is unfading, and it's undefiled, and it's imperishable. i got to put my trust in God. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this... You rejoice. This, in other words, these ideas, the reality of God's power in us actually makes us glad. Though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So we rejoice in the power of God, but we know, and is that, does this describe anybody's life? What is it? Grieved by various trials. Have you ever faced those? Come on now. Are we humans in the room today? Grieved by various trials. In other words, something that's making me sad, situations, circumstances. But what did he say before that? I'm actually going to rejoice in the truth of who God is to me. Because circumstances and situations and something that's defying me does not 
going to bring joy to my life? What is going to bring joy to my life? The faith that I put in God's power, that it's undefiled and it's unfading and it's imperishable. That's going to bring me joy in the middle of grievous circumstances, grievous trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That God's power makes up the difference for me, an unlikely one, a a reluctant one, somebody who's not qualified to face the situation but God has actually qualified me in Christ God has done something for me the Apostle Paul is the last example we'll look at he was a persecutor of the church and he was party to murder and we can see his call here in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 meanwhile Saul still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he might if he found any there who belonged to the way that's what Christianity was called before it was called Christianity the way whether men or women he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem so Paul had already helped kill somebody and now he's wanting more power to take anybody who's preaching about Jesus and he wants to basically put them in jail Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who, are, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. The most unlikely one. Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, who was persecuting the church, party to murder of church leaders. God called him. See, and sometimes we can look at our past. We can look at all the mistakes that we made. We can look at the things that people said about us. And because of all of those things, we can try to disqualify ourselves from facing the things that we need to face. Facing the circumstances that are defying us, that we need to bring the kingdom of God to, we can disqualify ourselves. But Paul, who is coming against the church, what did God say? He said, I'm going to go, I want you to go into the city and you will be told what you must do. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. So what did he do? He meant he went a full 180. What was he? He was a persecutor. He was a blasphemer. But God judged him faithful in Christ. Do I have anybody in here today? And I got both hands raised. That in the past, uh, you weren't a great person. 
and you did a bunch of stupid stuff. And you could say today, you know what, I don't actually qualify for the things that God wants me to do. But the scripture says about Paul, and then it says it about us, that God has actually appointed us to good works. We are his workmanship. He has saved us. And the the ways that we try to disqualify ourselves, that in Christ, God has qualified us. God has made it possible for us using his power to face the circumstances that defy us and then come against our lives. And then we no longer have to say about ourselves, I'm the most unlikely one. I can say that in Christ, his power is undefiled in me and his power in me is unfading. Aren't you thankful for that today? Let's just pray this morning. God, we're so thankful for Jesus today. God, we're so thankful that you have called us despite our mistakes, despite our past, despite all of the things that we have done wrong and all of the ways that other people said that we don't measure up and all the ways that we think we don't measure up. That you have made salvation available to us, that you have given us salvation and you have called us. That you have called us to the kingdom for such a time as this. God, we are so thankful for that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.